Now we're going to turn tonight to Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4. I'm going to read the chapter and encourage you to follow with me in your Bible. Amos is one of the 12 minor prophets. Amos is the third of the 12. So I would encourage you to, if you find Hosea or Daniel, just work your way then towards the New Testament and you'll eventually come to Amos. If you are struggling, you can look up the index and you'll find where Amos is and you'll find the page and turn to chapter 4. Now let's hear the word of the Lord. Reading of course from the authorized version. Hear this word ye kind of Bashan that are in the mountain of Samaria which oppress the poor which crush the needy, which say to their masters, Bring, and let us drink. The Lord God have sworn by his holiness that, Lo, the days shall come upon you, that he will take you away with hooks, and your posterity with fish hooks, and ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal multiply transgression, and bring your sacrifices every morning, and your tithes after three years, and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, and proclaim and publish the free offerings, for this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and want of bread in all your places. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And also I have withholden the rain from you, when there was yet three months to the harvest. And I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered into one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew, when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord? I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses. And I have made the stink of your camps to come up unto your nostrils. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord? I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, 
O Israel. And because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For, lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, his name. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from Amos chapter 4, uh, verses 12 and 13. And my theme this evening is entitled, Find Repentance or Face Retribution. Now, the last two verses of Amos chapter 4 forms a climax to this sermon of Amos to the children of Israel in the northern kingdom. The year is approximately 750 B.C. God has been pleased to save and to raise up and call Amos. He's a, a herdsman of Tekoa. And he's sent to preach to the inhabitants of the northern kingdom. Remember, Israel is divided into two kingdoms at this time. Ten tribes to the north and two tribes to the south. And Amos was given a very solemn straightforward message to proclaim to the inhabitants of Israel. The inhabitants of Israel at this time were manifesting a life of godlessness and a life of great gracelessness. They were ignoring the Lord. They were totally indifferent to him. Now, here they are, indifferent to the things of God and the Lord of heaven. And the wonderful thing is this, that God has spoken not just once to them or even twice, but in multiple times. The Lord in mercy once and again has sent even calamities into their lives. He has sent trouble into their lives to, to call them and to bring them to repentance. When he raised up other prophets and sent them forth to instruct the people to repent and get right with God, they were Rejected. They were told, don't prophesy to us. So the Lord in mercy announces to them through Amos, okay, you've no time for my prophets. You've no time for my preachers. You've no time for me or for my ways. You've no time to repent for my repeated mercies and warnings. So I'm summonsing you to a face-to-face -face meeting with me. He says, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Think of the words, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. And the context is that God is coming to meet them in judgment. See, this is a fearful and final statement of purpose. Here's God's intention. And yet the amazing thing is this. The wonderful thing is this, that even at this late stage, despite this solemn instruction, the text holds out to every sinner a glimmer of hope if they but heed the call to repent and get right with the Lord. And I've preached in this text before, can't remember when. It's a very familiar text one that's well known, one that's widely used by preachers uh, in the Reformed and uh, 
conservative camp throughout the known world. It's on tracks, it's on billboards, it's very catchy. Think of the words, prepare to meet thy God. And of course, it's, it's meant to be seen, it's, it's meant to be uh, listened to. But I'm going to take the text tonight, not out of its context, but I'm going to try and keep it in its original context and keep it in its setting. Because to divorce it from its setting could, could mean that we, we miss the true meaning and the purpose of the text. So our text is Amos 4, verses 12 and 13, and here's the theme, find repentance or face retribution. Now notice three things here. Notice the sins that he exposes. If you look at verse 12, it's there. It says, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel. Now, the word therefore means in light of this, or because of this, in, in view of this. And it's a reference back to the guilty, godless, graceless lifestyle of the people. And there's a number of things here. The people, what was their lifestyle like in 750 BC? Let, let me try and teach you five things. They were guilty of being obsessed with possessions. The people were obsessed with materialism. They lived for things. They had a love for things. They, they accumulated things. They had loads of things. They were unruly. They were unholy. And they were unthankful. They were living a life of luxury and ease. They were fulfilling the lust of their flesh. If you look, for example, at chapter 2, it says in verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Do you see that? People were obsessed with shoes. Well, sure, that's not a new thing, ladies, is it? Here they are in 750 BC, obsessed with shoes. What does it say in the text? And the poor for a pair of shoes. If you look at chapter 3, verse Eight. What does it say there? Sorry, it's two verse eight. And they laid themselves down upon clothes led to pledge by every altar. They drank the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. They, 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 they took the clothes from the poor. The poor were penniless. They were looking to sell them. So, so they took the clothes and gave them some money. And then, and then we read, and they laid themselves down upon the clothes, led to pledge by every altar. Didn't pack them up safely and keep them for the poor person to come back to or have them restored. If you look at chapter 3, verse 15, it says, And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. Here they are, you see. Here's the picture. They're besotted with possessions. 
They have a love for things, whether it's shoes or clothes or their winter house or their summer house. They have more than one house. Their houses are bedecked with ivory. They, they, they have great houses to, to have their parties in. Here's a, a, a people that have no love for the Lord or, or real knowledge of him. And, and what's in their mindset is affluence and wealth. And they'll even exploit the poor for things. It's all about a profit motive. They have a spirit of personal covetousness and lust. And they'll even grind the people to dust to, to make more money so that they will prosper. Guilty of being obsessed with possessions. Guilty of being obsessed with pleasures. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. This is an age of depraved sexual appetites. It says they, that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek and a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. This was a day of great fornication, a day of adultery, a day of sodomy, a day when every perverted sexual sin you can imagine was being practiced prostitution, escort agencies alive and well, swinger parties, orgies. They, they were all here. They, this was not only an age of depraved sexual appetite, but a, 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 an age of drunkenness. There, there was a drink culture. If we go back there in um, chapter 2, verse 8, it says, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. If you come to chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan that are in the mountains of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, Bring and let us drink. You see, this was an age of the drink culture. They were consuming copious amounts of alcohol. And here he is addressing the woman. How does he address them? Well, not very flattering, ladies, I have to say. He, he describes them as cows. Ye kind of Bashan means ye cows of Bashan. And of course, we, we know that because it says in verse 3, And ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her. In other words, one cow following the other, just, just with, with, with their head following the, the rear end of the cow. He's thinking of how they're behaving. You see, feminism was not a new thing. Feminine was alive and well in 750 BC. Isn't it amazing? These wealthy women, whom he describes as the kind of Bashan, they were oppressing the poor and crushing the needy, which said to their masters, that's their husbands. Bring, let us drink. Women who were in a highly exalted position of womanhood. And, and, and defying God's order and design. And, and here's how they were living. Isn't it a picture of our day? Think of the wealthy and the famous and those that are well known. How they behave and how they live behind closed doors. They were also guilty of being obsessed with religiosity. Look at chapter 4 verse 4. It says, come to Bethel. That's the house of God. And transgress at Gilgal. Multiply transgression. See, they were going through all the motions and management of religious activity. They were a very religious people. And yet, they were totally apostate. Come to Bethel, the house of God, 
and transgress it. Guilt call, multiply transgressions. They were bringing their sacrifices, their tithes and offerings. They were bringing a, a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. They, they were publishing and, and proclaiming their offerings. See, people adored the feast day, the fast day. They observed all the pomp and rites and ceremonies of the Jewish religion in Samaria. They had their own altar. They had their own priesthood. They had their own temple. Uh, this was a, 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 a major center of religiosity. Sacrifices were offered. Music was being uh, produced and sung. But it was all religion without God. They were, were worshipping in the way that they wanted, in the way that they liked. They, they would not apply the rule of abiding by the word of God. They, 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 they got rid of the book of the law. This was a day of apostasy, a day of religious confusion. The name of the Lord was on their lips, but they didn't love him. It was all a lie. Chapter 2, verse uh, 4 says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because ye have despised the love of the Lord, and not kept this commandment, and, caused their, and their lies caused them to err, after the which their fathers have walked. And you see, what was true then is true today. Is this not a day of great apostasy? A day of ecumenism? A, a, a day of charismatic confusion? Is it not true that entire churches, even within the mainstream Protestant denominations, have turned away from the rediscovery of Reformation principles and they've turned back to the medieval evil practices of Roman Catholicism? Where the free grace of God is downplayed? Where the gospel of free grace is denied? Do you know that there's churches tonight don't preach the gospel? And what is said from the pulpit is far removed from the gospel of Christ. It's certainly not the message of the New Testament. You're not going to hear that you're ruined by the fall. You're not going to hear the need of regeneration by the Spirit. You're not going to hear about redemption through the blood. You're not going to be here in a message about being reconciled to God on the basis of grace. Isn't it sad tonight that even the great truth of justification by faith alone, the article or a uh, of a standing or fallen church as described by Luther. It's conspicuous by its absence. There's no doctrine of sin. The Bible is described as a book containing errors. There's no mention of heaven, no mention of hell, no mention of holiness, no mention of the wrath of God. And what is preached is no relevance to the great message of the gospel. Many churches have forgotten that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to every spiritual question and the end of every spiritual quest in the heart of a sinner. The answer to every problem, the answer to every perplexity. Churches have turned to gimmickry, a form of entertainment. That They're worshipping on the basis of what they want to do. Here's Amos and he's sent, he's told to prophesy and yet they ignore him. They, they tell him, prophesy not. Don't listen to that Bible thumper. He, he, he's a doom and gloom merchant. He's a wee mad farmer. He's a wee angry preacher. Who would want to listen to him? Isn't this what we read in Amos chapter 2 and uh, verse 12? But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. Guilty of being obsessed with religiosity. 
guilty of being obsessed with power. These wealthy women were crushing the heads of the poor. They, they were using the weak and vulnerable to get on. You, you think of politicians tonight making decisions and exercising control over the lives of its citizens. Politicians who have made laws with very low public standards of decency. Especially in the area of morality. Using culture as a cloak for wickedness. That was an anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-gospel age. And I want to tell you tonight, Amos days like our day. The people are very similar. Is it not a description of 21st century life in the United Kingdom? Is it not a, a picture of life in the 21st century in the great United States of America or the Western world? Are people today not obsessed with possessions, obsessed with pleasures, obsessed with religiosity, obsessed with power? Are they not obsessed with profanity? Here's the fifth thing. There's cursing and swearing and law-breaking and oath-breaking. It's all here. And that's the sins that Amos exposes. And when Amos says, therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, he's wanting them to think about the sins that he has exposed. Notice, secondly, the signs that he explains. He says, and because I will do this unto thee. You see, it's wonderful that into this mix, God in mercy addressed the people. Look at chapter 4, verses 6, right through to verse 11. Here's a series of warning signs that God has given. Signs that display that God is speaking. What does he do? Look at verse 6. He sent a famine into the land, and I have also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your places. The second thing he did was he sent a drought. Verse 7, and also I have withholden the rain from you when there was yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not weathered. The third thing he did was he sent crop failure into the land. There was mildew and blasting. Verse 9, I have smitten you with blasting and mildew when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. I can see them rubbing their hands and saying, we're going to have a bumper harvest. Then the palmer worm devoured them. And then he sent pestilence and disease. Verse 10, and I sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. There was sickness and disease. It resulted in the death of the young men and women. It resulted in the death of the animals. And then he sent fire from heaven. He says, I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And he wears a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Can you see that there? God sent these warning signs time after time. And each warning was saying that God is going to send judgment. Each warning uh, said judgment is declared against you. 
It's unambiguous. It's sure and certain. It's going to happen. And yet all the while that these signs are being sent in the land, God is exercising not only his sovereign judgment, but he's exercising patience and long-suffering and mercy. See, all the Lord does, everything that he does, even his judgment is tempered with patience, long-suffering and mercy. He is no, not in a hurry. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This was not the final fearful judgment. It was coming down the road. But, but these are like warning signs. The first warning and the second warning and the third warning. And what was their response? Well, look at verse 6. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord? What was their response to the drought? Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord? What was their response when the crops failed? Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord? What was their response to the disease? Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord? What was their response to the fire from heaven? Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Five times. Now five in biblical numerics is the number of grace. Five times God says through Amos, you have not returned unto me. You haven't repented of your sin. You haven't recognized your sin. You, you've been indifferent. You, you've ignored my warning voice. See, God remembers an absolute controller. He's the one who controls. He's the Lord of hosts. He's an absolute monarch and ruler. And this whole series of warning signs, Amos used them. And he applied them to their hearts and lives. And he was saying, this is the Lord of hosts speaking. He, he, he's dealing with us in patience and long-suffering and mercy. You need to recognize his power. You need to hear his voice. You, you think for a moment of how this world has been stopped in its tracks. We're facing a deadly unseen virus from Wuhan and China. And it's brought the United Kingdom to its knees. It's brought the United States of America to its knees. In fact, the whole world has been stopped. Despite all their power and all their technology and all their expertise, they can't seem to get a grip on this virus. It's, it's crippling the economy. It's affecting people mentally. It's creating fear. And, and, and it has an impact on our personal freedoms. And yet, despite all that, now listen to me carefully, it hasn't brought men and women to their knees there's been no call from any leader in the church or from the politicians for a national day of prayer and repentance before God. Surely we have to say tonight how frail and weak we really are. Is God using this virus to speak? Yes, he is. To, to me, it's a harbinger, it's a warning of, of coming judgment. You turn over there to the book of Romans. Look with me at Romans chapter 5. And what does Paul say in Romans chapter 2 verse 5? He says this. Well, we'll think of verse 4. Romans 2 verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the death wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. 
What keeps back the ultimate judgment of God? What keeps sinners out of hell? Here, here's the answer. It's, it's the goodness and long-suffering and mercy of God. Here's Amos and he's faithful to the blood in the book. And he's faithfully exposed and, and, and faithfully explained their sinfulness. And I want to say tonight the greatest threat to the United Kingdom and to the Western world is our sin. Our individual sin. And the quicker we face up to it, then the better we would be. Romans chapter 1 verse 19, 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. So, so there's the, the saints. I want you to think thirdly, the summons he employs. We're now getting to the heart of the text. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. You see, this is a solemn summons. One day we will meet God face to face. And oh, that the Lord would stamp that truth in our hearts and minds. Here's a people, and they have sharp money-making practices. A, a, a people full of excitable pleasures, a, a people full of things and possessions, a people that's very religious and, and yet a veneer of religiosity, a people who are wrapped up in their jobs, a, a people to whom God has spoken, to whom God is patient and long-suffering. He sent tragedy and calamity, really like Simon's sermons to them, and, and they haven't yet returned to him. They haven't repented. And one day all that they have, their winter houses, their summer houses, their great houses, their clothes and their shoes, they're all going to be taken from them. And one day they'll meet God face to face. And what was true then in 70 or 750 uh, BC is true in the 21st century. Doesn't Romans 14 and 12 tell us then every one of us shall meet God face to face? So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Do you know heaven is real? Hell is real. God's holiness is real. And God's wrath is real. And life is brief. Hebrews 9 and 27 asks the question, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. And one day we'll all meet God face to face and we'll all give an account to God and there'll be no exceptions. Every apostate minister that was ordained to preach the gospel, every Roman Catholic priest, every Muslim terrorist, every member of the IRA and the UDA, uh, the young people who, who have lived for self and, and lived in their sin, they're all going to give an account to God. And see, the devil whispers into the ear of the young people, this is life. Live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you die. Well, well, that's not the message of God. That's certainly not the message of the Bible. Do you know over there in the book of Ecclesiastes, we read this, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee 
into judgment. This is a solemn summons. And how you meet him will determine where you will spend eternity. You'll either meet him in Christ or you'll meet him in your sins. And Jesus said in John 8, 22 to 24, three times if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot be. Could I tell you something else? This is a strategic summons. It's not only solemn, it's strategic. You see, when he said, prepare to meet thy God, he was saying that God's already on the way to meet you. Time's running out. If you meet God in the judgment, every opportunity will be gone. Eternity's knocking at your life's door. It's coming now. And the question of question is this. Are you in Christ? You see, if you're in Christ and have made proper preparation, then prepare to meet thy God can invest you with gladness. Because you've tasted the grace of God. You know Christ is your Lord and Savior. Your name's in the Lamb's book of life. You know that absent from the body is present with the Lord. You know about the, the, the reality of heaven and, and, and the, 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 the awfulness of hell. And you've got assurance. And, and you've got uh, this gladness in your soul. And you can say with Timothy, I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And you know if you die that you'll never be in purgatory. That's an invention of Roman Catholicism. And you know you'll never be in hell because absent from the body and present with the Lord, you know you're bound for heaven. And, and you're going to meet the, 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 the Savior who, who lived for you and died for you and, and rose again for you. And you'll rejoice that, that God himself planned and, and proposed the great scheme of redemption. Can you say tonight that I'm in Christ? Can you acknowledge that you're accepted in the beloved? Do you know him? Do you know you're in the way to heaven and home? Remember John 3 and 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to say again to the young people, please don't be fooled. See, the young people think, well, well, I've got a long life in front of me. My future's all planned out. I'm involved in a, in a money-making scheme. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And being a Christian isn't part of that plan. Could I say to you tonight, if that's your thinking, don't be fooled. Remember in Luke 12, we read about a man, a businessman. He was a rich farmer. He was into money-making schemes as well. He had a bumper harvest. He said, I'll pull down my barns, I'll build bigger. He was saying this. He was thinking that. He was, eat, drink, and be merry was his philosophy. And yet, what did the Savior say to him? Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. You see, we need to take it seriously. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. We know that the old will die, but the young may die. Could die by accident. Could, 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 could die through alcoholism. Could, could, could die uh, in their sleep. Could, could, could die by drugs. I, I know at least of one young girl in Belfast who heard the gospel and refused to speak to the preacher after the gospel service. It was an open air service. And she said, maybe some other time. And you know, that was the last night she heard the gospel. Do you know why? Because she died in her sleep. See, this is a strategic summons. Time's running out. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation.
Could I say something else in closing? This is a sad summons. If you look at verse 13, it says, For lo, he that formed the mountains and created the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness. You see, the individual here is pictured of meeting God in all his holy wrath. And the morning, well, it speaks of life. Life now. And here's the argument. He can make the morning darkness to you. What a sentence. Imagine meeting God in all his wrath. What will you say to him? Will you say I'm a good Presbyterian? Will you say to God I'm a good Methodist? Will you say to God I did this and done that? I helped the widows. I was honest. I was religious. I was a church attender. Is that going to cut any ice with this holy God of wrath whom you're meeting in your sin? When I read that, I, I, I thought, that's a very sad sentence. Here's a people chastened by temporal calamities. And God is speaking, and they ignored that call. They, they were indifferent to him. God sent his prophets, and they ignored them, said, prophesy not. And they're going to face the punishment of eternal fire. Now they're going to end the everlasting darkness. Now there's going to be gnashing of teeth. See, this is something that's like an unavoidable appointment. You can cancel some appointments. The dentist, the doctor, but you'll never cancel this appointment. There's indescribable agony here. For as I've said, there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. The fire isn't quenched. The worm doesn't die. You're going to meet him. And yet he's coming to meet you in all your hostility. It's as if he's saying you've done battle with Amos. Now you're going to do battle with me, the Almighty. And who can fight God and win? There's something indispensable here as we close. Think of this word, prepare. How, how do you prepare? Well, you recognize your sin. You repent of it. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Repentance has been sorry enough to quit your sin. It's the soul's divorce from sin. Naturally speaking, we're, we're, we're not ready to meet God. In ourselves, we're not prepared to meet him. We, we've got to come the way of Christ. Remember, he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Here's how to prepare. Meet God in Christ, the, the one who's the only savior of sinners. Because once you recognize your sin and repent of it, then you can receive the savior. One who's born for us, who lived for us, who died for us. Think of his atoning death, his blood shedding on Calvary, how he satisfied the, the wrath of God. He, he, he rose again for us. You see, you don't have to fear meeting God in the judgment if you meet him in Christ. Remember, the Savior says, repent ye and believe the gospel. Have you made this indispensable preparation? Or will you meet God out of Christ? And if you meet God out of Christ, it'll be inevitable judgment. Here's a solemn summons. It's strategic because time's running out. And it's sad.
because you think of a lost soul in hell. Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot be. Imagine ending up in hell with the devil and all the demons of darkness and every other Christ denier and Christ rejecter and you've come from a good Christian home you had Christian parents who loved you and prayed for you brought you to church and you've rebelled against it to go out into the world with an eye for possessions an eye for pleasure an eye for profanity an eye for, for even religiosity just to go through the motions and yet to die in that state be a terrible thing I commend to you this message this evening think of the title find repentance repent ye and believe the gospel and without repentance you will perish without repentance you will face God's retribution may the Lord bless you tonight thank you for coming thank you for listening